Suit yourself. Real-time scenarios with real residents. Hi, Dr. Shukare. I'm Dr. Jones. Welcome. Today, I'm going to ask you a few questions, and what I'd like to hear is what you would do in your usual practice. There won't be any trick questions. I'll give you the information that you need. And of course, if there's information that you'd like, feel free to ask. Let's get started. This is a 27-year-old G1P0 pregnant woman who's 10 weeks into her pregnancy, and she began having severe nausea and vomiting over the last 24 hours. She called her OB initially, who was concerned that she was just becoming dehydrated, but then she developed a pain in her epigastrium as well. And her OB said, you may have torn something and asked her to come to the emergency department. On arrival at the emergency department, she has uh, vitals that are notable for tachycardia in the 120s. Her blood pressure is normal for her, which is 100 over 70. A bedside ultrasound is unable to identify the 10-week pregnancy, but uh, is admittedly not great quality. Uh, and the rest of her vitals are essentially normal. Her abdominal exam is notable for tenderness in the epigastrium and the right upper quadrant. And she is clearly nauseated and in distress. What's next? Okay, uh, I'll make sure my patient is well resuscitated, I'm getting uh, IV fluids as I continue my uh, management. I'll give her some anti-emetics if need to, uh, pain management. And uh, I think I'm satisfied with the history and the physical exam that you gave me. I'm good with that. Um, I can, you said I did get an abdominal ultrasound or a right upper abdominal ultrasound or not yet? Uh, this was just a uh, provider um, performed bedside ultrasound, not a formal one. Okay, I'll get, I'll send for a full set of labs, CDVC, BMP, liver enzymes, liver function tests, uh, type and screen and INR as well. Uh, I'll send for a COVID test and I'll get a right upper abdominal ultrasound. Okay, so... The right upper quadrant ultrasound I'll start with shows a small amount of fluid around the gallbladder and the gallbladder wall is thickened to oh, seven millimeters, let's say. Uh, there are stones in the gallbladder and the patient tells you that she has been told she has gallstones before. Your labs are unremarkable with the exception of a leukocytosis to 18,000 and a left shift with 80% neutrophils. She's not terribly dehydrating. Uh, the rest of her labs are essentially normal. The ultrasound tech additionally looks uh, into the transpelvic view and is able to identify what appears to be a normal gestational sac and uh, uh, intrauterine pregnancy. Okay, I think this uh, confirms my diagnosis to be uh, an episode of acute cholecystitis. Um, I'll start by counseling my patient about the uh, the risks and benefits on the different managements. She's in her first trimester. There's a high risk. Uh, my go-to treatment is a laparoscopic cholecystectomy, surgical management. There's a high risk in the first trimester compared to the second trimester. I'll make sure I communicate that with my patient. Start her on uh, IV antibiotics and plan for laparoscopic cholecystectomy if the patient agrees. The patient is obviously a little scared, and she wonders, are, are you sure? It's acute cholecystitis. Is there anything we can do to confirm that or disconfirm that? So I can always send the patient for an MRI uh, or an MRCP of the um, of the abdomen, and then uh, that could confirm my 
confirm for my diagnosis. I can get a CT of the abdomen if uh, my diagnosis is not cleared with, with the known risks of radiation. And she asks what she should do. I'll send her for an MRI. Yeah. Okay. So you get an MRI. It does show the normal appearing 10-week intrauterine pregnancy. Uh, it does show a mildly enlarged uh, fatty liver and uh, inflammation and fluid around the gallbladder consistent with cystitis as well as cholelithiasis. There's no dilation of the biliary ducts and no sign of unusual masses. Okay, and this is con this is confirmed by my uh, LFTs and liver enzymes that are normal, correct? Correct. All right. Um, I'll continue my management as the same. I'll tell you that we can give uh, IV antibiotics if things cool down. We can delay the surgery till the second trimester, or we can go ahead with laparoscopic cholecystectomy at this time. She says, "I don't know, doctor. What should I do?" Um, I will plan for. Um, a laparoscopic cholecystectomy. Okay. So you take her to the operating room, you uh, position her uh, supine for her laparoscopic cholecystectomy, and uh, the anesthesiologist notes that her blood pressure is a little more tenuous than he had expected. Um, anything you're going to do differently during your lap colon? Uh, I'll make sure the patient that my patient is uh, getting her IV fluids for positioning my patient. I would need, uh, she's not gravid enough to be compressing her uh, her IVC and decreasing her preload, but I can make sure that my surgical positioning is, is more adequate. Maybe uh, getting some uh, right upper, uh, uh, right side up a little bit to make sure she has enough preload. Okay. So tell me about your port placement. Uh, I think my port placement is going to be the same as regular laparoscopic cholecystectomy for the first trimester. Uh, I'll make sure I have my access uh, through the um, up through the midline above the above the supraumbilical. I'll do that with the uh, uh, with the Hassan. Put my twelve millimeter trocar. I'll put my two five millimeters for for my uh, gallbladder traction in the right quadrant and one um, epigastric five millimeter port as well for dissection. Okay, so you're doing your laparoscopic cholecystectomy. It's going reasonably well. Uh, there is spillage of quite a lot of purulent bile from the gallbladder itself when you get into it. Uh, no obvious stones uh, come out. Uh, you're able to get your gallbladder out uh, from the subxiphoid port and uh, you irrigate well. Um, do you leave a drain? Um, I will leave a drain at this point, yes. Okay. And once she is readmitted, what's next? Um... I'll keep the patient NPO. I can give her sips and um, sips of clears. I'll keep her on antibiotics uh, for at least two more days at this point. Um, in terms of my gall, uh, gallstone spillage, I'll advance her diet is tolerated and uh, uh, I can discharge her once she's safe and she's cleared with OB to be sent home. What does she need to be to be cleared with OB? Uh, make sure that due to the spillage and it's happened during the surgery, if she needs another. Uh, um, and the ultrasound or another NST test uh, before she uh, goes home. All right, Dr. Jones, let's talk about this case. I think overall, Dr. Shukir did a very nice job. I like how he initially mentioned resuscitation. I don't think you can ever go wrong by mentioning that right up front. Uh, I also think that he did a nice job asking a clarifying question uh, during the initial portion of the stem. And he did utilize a pause, which I think that test takers should feel like they're able to take pauses and think about what they want to say rather than quickly give an answer and then backtrack. That's much worse. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Dr. Tenari. I did like that overall his style was really conversational. It was straightforward. He 
typically knew what to do and how to present the different options. That pause, I entirely agree, it is a tool that not enough people use. Nobody's going to be bothered by an examinee taking three, four, five seconds to think about what they want to do. As a matter of fact, the only problem I had with that pause was right in the middle of it, he said, I'm not sure. And don't get me wrong, it's honest, it's fair, but I would have preferred, again, just from that simple style standpoint, to just have the silence while he's thinking about it. Because after that, he picked right back up and did great. Yeah, I, I think I would uh, fully pass him for the scenario. I think he You'd would. you give him a six, you I, think? I would, yes. Yeah, I think that's fair. He didn't fall into any of the pitfalls and uh, certainly treated his patient safely. So the good news is this is a very common scenario where we're talking about cholelithiasis or cholecystitis in a pregnant person. This is a very common board scenario as well as a very common scenario in real clinical practice. In fact, other than appendicitis, gallbladder problems are the second most common reason for abdominal surgery in a pregnant person. The good news is, as I mentioned before, you really treat this very similarly to a patient who is not pregnant. There are a few differences to keep in mind. First of all, workup is about the same. You should always start with a right upper quadrant ultrasound, which is very diagnostic with good sensitivity and specificity for gallbladder disease. If you need more workup, for example, if there are elevated liver function tests or a high bilirubin, your next test should be MRI. Try to avoid sending pregnant people for CT scans or high radiation tests. In addition, the surgical management is relatively similar as well. You can actually operate safely in any trimester of pregnancy with low rates of fetal complication. Recent studies show that first complication, first, right, right, recent study, recent studies are showing that antibiotic treatment or conservative management without surgery in the first trimester leads to a very high rate of repeat episodes and potentially fetal complications. So oftentimes it's better to do surgery upfront. Another thing to keep in mind is when you're talking about diagnosis is as the patient becomes more gravid, the appendix actually moves up towards the right upper quadrant. So you may have a patient later in pregnancy presenting with right upper quadrant pain and it becomes up to you to distinguish whether or not this is a gallbladder problem or an appendix problem. Lastly, for patients who are at greater than 24 weeks of gestation, you should definitely contact your OB colleagues for fetal monitoring pre and post-operatively. The surgeries are done in relatively the same way other than you have to pay attention to placing lower laparoscopic ports because of the gravid uterus, but otherwise you can approach this either via an open approach or a laparoscopic approach. Some data suggests that the laparoscopic approach does have lower complication rates and a shorter length of stay, which may be beneficial to fetal health.